gold standard. Welcome to the Dr. Hedberg Show for cutting-edge practical health information. For the latest articles, videos, and podcasts, visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G.com. The information in this show is intended for educational purposes only. Always consult your healthcare professional before attempting anything recommended in this program. And now, here's Dr. Hedberg. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Functional Medicine Research. I'm Dr. Hedberg. In this episode, I'm going to be covering a paper on the gut microbiota and how it affects the thyroid. So this is actually a review. It's not a controlled trial with patients. Uh, So it's just a review of the literature looking at the connection between microbiota and the thyroid. So the paper is, is specifically called Microbiota and Thyroid Interaction in Health and Disease, published in the journal Trends in Endocrinology and Metabolism. And these are two German researchers, Froelich and Wall. Really a gem of a paper. Uh, it's rare that I come across a paper that has this much valuable information in it. So it's filled with all these nuggets of of really important information regarding not just the microbiota in your thyroid, but some other things as well, which we'll talk about. So the authors, they just kind of begin talking about how the gut microbiota acts on thyroid function and the gut microbiota is affected by where you live So there's going to be regional influences. So the food that you eat and your microbiota, it'll be different in Canada compared to Africa and China compared to Brazil and so on and so on. So there's all these differences involved in in where people live and what their gut microbiota actually looks like. Also, how much iodine they're taking in the rates of obesity, how old they are, their sex hormones, and how those influence the thyroid and the gut, and then how autoimmunity can impact the microbiota itself. So I was really impressed to see them talking about how the gut microbiota is linked to autoimmune disease and issues with estrogen and iodine and obesity because we know estrogen is a key factor in Hashimoto's disease and also just having a healthy gut is required for optimal estrogen metabolism and excretion through the feces. So they do talk a little bit about that. And then they also talk about the connection between your gut and the liver and in relation to thyroid hormone metabolism because thyroid hormone is metabolized in the gut and also in the liver, and it's converted to T4 from T4 to T3 in the liver. So there's a strong connection there as well. And then they also talk about how your gut is really key to properly absorbing and utilizing the thyroid medication that you're taking. And so they talk about that as well. So I'm just going to go through all these nuggets. So I'm going to hit you with a lot of kind of one-liners here, but it's all it's all really important to understand. So number 1 to begin is that thyroid hormone is vital for a healthy gut barrier 
And the healthy gut barrier is vital for Hashimoto's disease and Graves' disease and autoimmune diseases. And so when the gut microbiota becomes out of balance, then the chances of developing Hashimoto's disease increases. Now, the authors make a really important point, and I'm glad they did because there's a lot of misinformation out there on the internet about this. But they talk about how the severity of Hashimoto's disease is not correlated with levels of thyroid antibodies, such as thyroid peroxidase and antithyroglobulin. So the studies are actually pretty clear on that, that if your antibody levels are really high, that doesn't correlate with the severity of your symptoms. So some can have very low antibodies and have horrific, debilitating symptoms. And then another person can have really high antibodies and feel great. So there's no correlation there. And I, I have written and talked about this before, how it's unwise to chase antibody levels and try to get them as low as possible because there's just no evidence that, number one, it's that's related to how you're feeling. And also, number two, there's no evidence that you're increasing your risk of further destruction of the gland or developing hypothyroidism uh, just because your antibody levels are high. So I was glad to see that. And the other thing that's interesting is that the microbiota of patients with Hashimoto's disease, it tends to be more diverse than people who don't have Hashimoto's. And the authors say that this is probably due to slower transit time due to hypothyroidism. And so they do talk a little bit about SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And a couple of episodes back, I talked about the connection between hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's, and small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And just to give you a quick recap, if you have a sluggish thyroid, then most likely your gut will also be sluggish. So a lot of people are constipated. And the longer you're constipated, the more likely you are to develop SIBO. So there's a good connection there. But back to the diversity, there's a lot of talk about there about increasing diversity with prebiotics and probiotics and eating a certain way. And that's not necessarily a good thing uh, for everyone. So some people do not do well increasing their gut microbiota diversity. And other people do much better decreasing their diversity. This depends on the individual and their microbiota and what they're dealing with. So they quote one study that is interesting that I'm, I think I'm going to probably do a podcast about this in the future. It's just specifically on probiotics and thyroid function. But there was a study done on, this was on mice, so we can't necessarily correlate this to humans. But they, the mice were supplemented with lactobacillus ruteri, uh, which is just a strain of lactobacillus, and that actually improved thyroid function in the mice. It increased their T4 levels. And then they, they talk about chickens, and when chickens were given, given lactic acid-producing bacteria, so that would be a bacteria like a lactobacillus, 
It's called lactobacillus because it's a lactic acid producing bacteria. And that actually increased the T3 levels in the chickens. But again, we don't know if this, this is the same in humans. Then they talk a little bit about women entering menopause. So in perimenopause, progesterone levels drop more than estrogen. So this can lead to some estrogen dominance. And when you're estrogen dominant, this has a negative effect on the microbiota. But if you have an imbalanced microbiota already, this will negatively affect estrogen metabolism and clearance of the estrogen. So there's a, a intimate connection there as well. Now, this is one of the reasons why some women go through menopause much more smoothly than others. So I have patients who are in menopause and I talk to them about what it was like and some of them never have a single symptom. So they, they even go into perimenopause and then into menopause and they never have a single hot flash or anxiety or insomnia or weight gain or all these symptoms that many women get when they go through perimenopause. And then other women will have horrible uh, perimenopause and menopause, all kinds of symptoms. A part of that is how healthy the gut is going into perimenopause, as well as a number of other factors. So we can postulate that women who smoothly go through perimenopause probably have, they're probably going in with, with healthier gut function. Now we know that increasing estrogen levels can drive autoimmunity. There's a lot of research on that. If you have higher estrogen levels, you allow the Epstein-Barr virus to thrive. And that's one way that uh, the autoimmunity can be driven by estrogen. And so you need a healthy gut because your estrogen is detoxified in the liver, then into the gut, and then it's excreted in the feces. That whole process needs to be functioning well so that you don't become estrogen dominant. Then they talk about drugs like levothyroxine and how it may not be absorbed well if you have dysbiosis or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And I think this is a, a big issue, a, a bigger big issue that is not talked about as much as it should be when thyroid medication isn't really working. And definitely if there's a lot of ups and downs, so if your thyroid numbers are all over the place, up and down and up and down, and you're constantly having to adjust your medication, the first place to look is the gut because that's where it's broken down and absorbed and metabolized. So hypothyroidism leads to low stomach acid and low stomach acid decreases absorption of thyroid medication. Also, low stomach acid leads to bacterial overgrowth and dysbiosis, and you're more susceptible to infections in the gut if your stomach acid is low. And on top of that, in order to break down and absorb all your nutrition, the protein and the fat and the carbs and then all the vitamins and minerals, you also need healthy stomach acid. So those all begin to break down in hypothyroidism. And then it's a vicious cycle because all of those feed back to healthy thyroid function as well. 
And we know there's a connection between H. pylori and Hashimoto's disease. I've covered this in the past. And H. pylori will also knock out stomach acid. So you could have H. pylori knocking out stomach acid and the H. pylori involved in the Hashimoto's disease. And then you've got hypothyroidism, which lowers stomach acid, plus the H. pylori that's lowering stomach acid, and then everything just goes downhill from there. They briefly mention iodine, and they're just mainly talking about how iodine is absorbed in the stomach and in the upper small bowel. But the, the iodine, the absorption of the iodine can be inhibited if there's gut inflammation in the stomach and the upper GI. So again, if someone has H. pylori, or if they have food sensitivities like gluten, or if they have dysbiosis, or if they're drinking uh, fluoridated water, or uh, using toothpaste and other dental products with fluoride, that can inhibit the absorption of iodine. And they even mention this in the paper. They mention that fluoride interferes with the absorption of iodine, which can cause hypothyroidism. So you want to be filtering your water if it does contain fluoride. Then they get into some minerals, selenium, iron, and zinc. And if you've, if you've been listening to me at all over the last few years or longer, uh, I do talk a lot about iron and the ferritin test and zinc and selenium. And so they, they actually covered all three of these. So let's just give a, a recap of these. The first thing is that the thyroid gland contains more selenium per milligram than any other tissue in the body. Selenium is important for the conversion of T4 to the more active T3. And your gut microbiota actually competes with you for utilization of the selenium. So they're going to try and use whatever they can uh, of the selenium that you consume. And then you'll get what, whatever is left over uh, that they haven't used yet. Now, zinc deficiency has been shown to cause a 30% decrease in T4 and T3 levels. So hypothyroidism causes zinc deficiency, and a zinc deficiency causes hypothyroidism. So it's another vicious cycle that, that we get involved with. Zinc is also required for the conversion of T4 to T3, and zinc supplementation inhibits diarrhea, and it also promotes the growth of lactobacillus, which can be beneficial for many people who are low in that uh, that microbe. A lot of the popular probiotic products out there actually contain lactobacillus uh, because that's a, a beneficial strain. So iron is also required for the production of thyroid hormone in the thyroid gland. And iron is also required for the utilization of T3 in the cell. Now, iron does decrease microbial diversity, and that can be a good or bad thing, depending on the individual, like I mentioned before. But you must have healthy stomach acid levels to absorb iron, 
which happens primarily in the small intestine. Uh, the other thing that's interesting is that, and they mentioned this in the paper, your gut bacteria actually act as a reservoir for T3 levels. And so that actually decreases the need for T4 medications, and it also prevents fluctuations in thyroid hormone levels. In fact, they quote a study that was done on the commercial probiotic product called VSL number three, and some of you may have already heard of that. And VSL number three is mainly lactobacillus bifidobacter and a strain of strep, I believe, very popular in inflammatory bowel disease and irritable bowel. And so the, the study participants that took VSL number three actually required fewer thyroid medication dose adjustments compared to those who didn't take the probiotic. So when these people were on it, their thyroid levels were much more stable taking the probiotic. And the reason is because uh, of this reservoir capacity of your gut bacteria to house T3. And they even mention how the gut microbiota regulates your neurotransmitters. So that would be things like serotonin, adrenaline, GABA. And they specifically mention dopamine because dopamine inhibits TSH production. And they even, uh, the microbiota, it even interacts with your hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis or the HPA axis, which is your stress axis. And that's how cortisol and, and then adrenaline is produced when you're under stress. Intimate connections there as well. So the authors conclude by talking about how this gut thyroid connection, it was actually discussed in the 1950s. And the term they used was thyrogastric syndrome. Now your gut and your thyroid actually come from the same embryonic tissue. So in fact, the thyroid actually develops directly from primitive gut cells. So there's a direct connection there right from the beginning when you're developing in the womb. So the key points that they mention are that the microbiota influences the uptake of iodine in the intestine as well as utilization in the liver. It influences selenium, iron, and zinc. It influences absorption and utilization of the thyroid medications you take. And then they even mentioned that probiotics may actually be a useful therapy for thyroid disease in the future. But we don't know enough yet if, uh, if that's going to be as effective as we think it will be. But they do say there is a connection between altered gut microbiota and Hashimoto's, Graves' disease, and hypothyroidism. However, we can't say that there is a single direct connection there. Of course, there are many factors in autoimmune diseases. So we can't pinpoint it to just that one thing. So like I said in the beginning, this paper was just a real gem. Many excellent key statements. Uh, some great papers that they cite that I'm probably going to follow up on and go into a little bit more detail. But they just did a great job connecting the gut microbiota and the thyroid. And if anything, it's a great reminder 
of how important the gut is when it comes to thyroid health and Hashimoto's and even Graves' disease. So you've got to focus on that and work on that if you want your medications to work and if you want your thyroid to be in good balance and you want your Hashimoto's to be stable and, and under control. So I will link to this study. It's actually a free paper as well as the other studies that I thought were important on drhedberg.com. So you can check those out if you want. So I hope this was helpful. Take care, everyone. This is Dr. Hedberg, and I'll talk to you next time. If you enjoy the Dr. Hedberg Show, you can support it by sharing each episode on your social media channels, like Facebook, and by leaving a review on iTunes. Please visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G dot com to access the show notes and resources for today's episode.